Hello and welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Mike Varley. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And this is week 40 of our 52-week walk around New York City. Yeah, and this week we were doing a museum walk. We were in Manhattan for the last time for a full week, and we walked in the Guggenheim, the MoMA, the Natural History Museum, the Met, and the Cloisters, one for each day. That's right. And so for this particular podcast, we are going to be focusing on the Cloisters. We had a wonderful time in all the museums. You can go on our Instagram. You can check out some of the photos we did there. But this one, we had a singular focus, and we had a special guest. Yeah, we had our friend Mae Colburn on, and we asked her to come on this podcast in particular because she studied art history and is a weaver and is an all-around academic and art extraordinaire. And we knew that this theme would suit her well. She's a great friend and a great talker and someone that's a pleasure to be around. And we had a really nice time. And it was particularly special because we were able to investigate a lot of the weavings that are at the Cloisters together. That's right. Jesse and May were also involved in a weaving collective known as Friends of Light, which had some really incredible garments. You can check that out online. We'll provide some sort of link so you can see it uh, and see the wonderful talent that they have. And we were able to see that talent on display in evaluating some of the tapestries at the Cloisters. That's true. Well, we, so we, yes. May and I co-owned Friends of Light along with two other women. Mm -hmm. We also, after that, both worked for Helena Herrenmark, who is an amazing tapestry weaver as well. May still works with Helena. And so between those two things and, of course, May's background in art history and both of our backgrounds in textiles in general, we were able to try and decode and decipher all of the little details of any textile piece that we saw. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun for me. Uh, not knowing anything about this, to grill them about the tapestries, and they performed wonderfully. <laughs> I hope that you all agree. Uh, this episode, just like every other episode, just a little bit different. On this one, we have actually kind of a variety of media that will be shown, particularly for those that are watching and not just listening on the podcast. So we have a little bit of video, but because it is in an actual converted, I guess, repositioned to America cloister setting, there is some pretty dark areas. So there's some photo, uh, photographs as well to help kind of set the scene. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, we did some outside shooting of the park that the cloisters is contained in. So you'll be able to see some of that as well. So kind of just a, a variety of things that you'll be taking a look at, yeah. and uh, we hope it keeps your interest. Yeah, and if you're one of these people that listens purely on audio, I hope that you feel like you're in the cloisters with us. And I actually think that this might be our first podcast that could also serve as a walking tour. So if you happen to be in New York and you want to go to the cloisters and listen to this, because there is a very clear directional walking path that you have to take right now at the cloisters, you could really easily follow along with what we're looking at. Yeah. And we, you can tell from when we are going through the museum, when we are in rooms that are echoey, and when we are in rooms that are more padded from the tapestries. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think it really gave a sense of 
the place and kind of the medieval, uh, you know, works that are contained therein. Yeah. And so, yeah, we hope you enjoy it very much. And without further ado, let's go to May. So if we go straight, we'll be in an area that is can be understood as a cloister, an Perfect. actual cloister. That seems like a good spot to start. Yes. It smells fragrant, like herbs and flowers. Oh, it looks nice. And um, so this is called the cloisters. And that's um, in large part because it's comprised of these five separate cloisters that were kind of bits and pieces were taken or purchased um, by a fellow whose last name was Barnard. And he might have been associated with Barnard College, I'm oh. not sure, or that could have been named after him. Um, but the way the story is told on the Met website, um, he kind of took these pieces of five cloisters, brought them back to New York, and then started constructing this museum for his collection of oh, wow. art from Europe in it the Middle Ages. It was also his personal collection. And then a lot of it was, um, it was built out by mm. the Rockefeller's collection. So that's where the oil money comes into play. Okay. Mm. And that's when it became, um, yeah, I mean, this, it's like a shift in time from, say, the 1920s to the 1930s to the 70s to the 80s, mm. when um, something that was kind of a private, personal obsession became much more scholarly mm. in like a museum academic sense. Mm. And so the Rockefeller money infusion made that possible. Still, okay. I mean, that's not to say it's necessarily more objective or somehow more universal. It still reflects someone's deeply held interests yeah. and beliefs. Right. I didn't realize it was five different cloisters. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I knew that they were rebuilt here from Europe, but I did not know it was five different. Do you That's know cool. where in Europe they came from? Was it Italy? It might have been Italy, France. I, I, okay. I don't actually know yeah, that. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, maybe it'll say somewhere on their way. Maybe, yeah. And I mean, this was not uncommon to just kind of wealthy folks from the U.S. would come and buy pieces huh. of like, you know, villa architecture from Italy. Wow. Um, That's so interesting. And it was, I mean, it reflected like new money from the U.S. or new money from, yeah. Right. This continent going back to Europe and like buying pieces that had just ended up in, you know, various people's hands. Right. Um, I wonder I'm, how they managed to get it over, I guess by boat. I'm guessing, yeah. It seems like a lot of work or like kind of a hassle. <laughs> it does seem like a hassle. When like, yeah. why couldn't you just build, like get, figure out how they made them and then make them here, but. I mean, I'm sure there was an obsession with like antiquities and authentic, right. authentic stuff. It's not so different from, I mean, it's, it's kind of looting in a way. That's true. Except the way the stories were told, there was money exchange. Okay. So, but again, one never knows exactly how these right. things actually happened. Right, how happened. much money. How much money. So we can imagine, I'm guessing this is where the monks would have done some gardening. Yeah, was, were the cloisters, do you know if they were for men or women, like what, and like monks or like Catholic yes. cloisters or? I'm guessing, um, uh, you know, from the, the brief summary I read this morning, these were, these were monks. Mm, mm -hmm. And essentially you'd have this kind of open cloister area and then okay. you'd have like various, you know, monks quarters surrounding it on wow. the outside. So that's kind of how the museum's built too. Yeah. 
Um, so it is this strange blend of like, there's new stuff and there's old stuff, and we're not really sure what's what when we look at it. You know, there'll be like works of art that have labels, but what about these columns? What about the, you know, stucco on the, on the, on the wall or the beams in the ceiling? These right. Of ambiguous, um, you know, origin. Like what was entering. just done to blend it all together and what was like actually brought over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like a collage. It's kind of like a collage. I mean, you have to kind of buy into it, you know? Yeah. It's okay. I'm willing to suspend my belief. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm willing. I've bought in, I think. You've bought in. <laughs> oh, that says France. Okay. So we can also ask ourselves, like, why Europe in the Middle Ages? Like, why this obsession mm. with Europe in the Middle Ages? And I don't have a great answer off the top of my head, but maybe I'll come up with something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can come up maybe with something. Maybe as we go, we'll, we'll sort of feel it. Because mm -hmm. I do wonder that, too. I mean, right now, in our like contemporary culture, I don't know how much of that is something that we're interested in like aside from us being here in the cloisters like how much are we interested in europe in the middle ages right it doesn't seem to be like the hot it's, time. A, it's a contested time i think yeah. I mean, medievalists kind of any kind of history can be co-opted towards any particular end um i mean the middle ages is thought of as this kind of backwards era in christian history right at least like the way the story is often told and I think there's been enough back and forth about this that we can again assume that there's no particular truth to the story but there's some kind of observation you think of the you think of the like you know Greek and Roman art and architecture and mm -hmm. you think of the way that bodies were were um, depicted in space and mm -hmm. there was a sense of perspective and um, people appeared very real in sculptures when you think of like the David sculpture. He's right. nude and he's chiseled and he looks like a, could have been like a real hunk of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like you come up with these very elongated, attenuated bodies in right. the ages. And so the question is like, why was that some kind of atrophy? You know, had people kind of forgotten how to depict perspective or right. depict like right. architectural perspective or like humans in kind of a more realistic um or were state. the actual humans atrophied like we, <laughs> that's a question <laughs> we were in the met the other day and there's all those um dutch paintings mm -hmm. and everyone looks the same like the tight the way that people are depicted but they all look kind of sickly okay and it, and we were wondering like did people just Are look like that or or was that like the style and it was being like stylized like purposely and which if that's who knows? always a really great question yeah you know was it being stylized purposely and of course we can ask that about these two was it like an understanding of human beings or human existence in relation to god or yeah. you know higher orders or yeah. or ge genetic homogeneity lead to certain traits in certain regions and right. i mean certainly height is something that has changed dramatically in only a short amount of time mm -hmm. so and we don't have photographic evidence for you know we only have that for 150 right. years so i think it's it's also important though to like assume that photographic evidence isn't necessarily more true or real than mm. say this i mean mm -hmm. that's another kind of 
thing that we've bought into that photography yeah. represents the real. Mm. But in a way, it's just as stylized as, as any other. Huh. I mean, essentially, a camera forces us to see things within like two photographic dimensions. perspective in two dimensions and with a you know, foreground and background. Right, um, and there's all sorts of camera tricks that can be played, and mm -hmm. especially those early cameras where like you had to hold still for 20 minutes, and often, especially with the children, like they look because they can't hold still, so it's mm -hmm. like this braces in the backs of their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I mean, you know, it's in a way, it's it's important to come to a consensus about real what reality is at this mm -hmm. point, and we've seen that. It seems like it's been a very important step in terms of, um, and nerve-wracking, I'm not quite sure where I'm going here, but between like, like surveillance and mm -hmm. um, police accountability and mm -hmm. the way that we use cameras and footage towards mm -hmm. um, both like a sense of public safety, but also there's this other side of it where yeah. our movement is, yeah. you know, the realities of our movement are kind of trapped. Yeah. And well, from a, a explicitly dimensional perspective, this reminds me of when we were in the Guggenheim on Monday. We had, uh, well, they were having a retrospective on their film that was there. So they had a giant projection screen, two giant projection screens in the middle of the Guggenheim. And it was projecting the same film on both sides. Mm. And so you would uh, go up or down the spiral and be able to actually witness what is typically a 2D medium okay. in this 3D way. Yeah. Huh. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's in a highly unusual case, but it's making me think of that when mm -hmm. we're talking about consensus ideas for how to consume things and mm -hmm. what things right. should be. You know? right. Even the things that are on this surface value, the flattest they could possibly be, can be presented in a way that you know, true. adds yeah. movement to it. That's true. And that's actually, I think, a nice point to raise before we see the tapestries, which mm -hmm. will be shown from basically against a wall on one side, yeah. right. um, which is, of course, the norm and has been the norm historically in Europe because they serve this very functional purpose as mm -hmm. insulation, really highly decorative insulation. Right. Yeah. right? Um, but of course, I would love to see the backside because I would love often, to see the backside as well. If we can flip it up, because the backside often shows the most, the truest colors, mm -hmm. so you can see, you know how the dyes have kind of persisted over time. Right, yeah. unaffected by light. Unaffected and, by light. Yeah. And then, you know, details about the technique and how it's made. And right. If, you know, were the weavers concerned about how the backside looked as opposed to the front? Right. Know, was were it any twisted together? Was anything tucked in? Mm -hmm. Was it, yeah. And, or is it just like wild back there? <laughs> Imagine. That's, <laughs> the, that's the weaver's dream is to see the back of the unicorn tapestry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But we're in a room now of wooden things. Yeah. And it looks like a bunch, a bunch of saints and, and Virgin Marys and uh, et al. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. With lots of like drapey robes, which is kind of nice to see. I really like this style. I was saying yesterday, I think one of my favorite art forms might be the divine baby and how that's portrayed like yeah like especially when it's gilded this one is wooden and a sculpture but i think the like the flat painting gilded divine baby those are some okay. of my favorite yeah. pieces and i don't really even know exactly why <laughs> i well, find i guess there's like 
there's some understanding that the maker had an interest in like worshiping this idea of this person that's going to save them. But then there's also something sort of just humorous about it to me as like a contemporary idea of so many people painting these gilded babies that's all supposed to be the same baby that always looks different. And <laughs> I don't know, there's just something really attractive about that to me. And it's also a reflection of like what's left over, you know? Right. Like the things that were really, who was paying for it? And right. Of course, then how much kind of labor and value was placed in it. These two babies uh, create a nice contrast between like the bookish oh. baby Jesus and then the baby Jesus who's pinching his mother's teat. Right. <laughs> right, and this baby <laughs> Jesus is giving a peace sign. That's something or, special. Or, oh, maybe some fingers fell off. Like this, yeah. It looks like Mary's giving another sign. Yeah. They both look very, like, peaceful and pleasant. He looks more like an adult than yeah. the other Yeah. Yeah. He also looks like he has an iPhone. Oh. <laughs> He does have a, an early tablet. It's got, it's got, he's got a case around it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's one of the ones that has like the wallet on it. Yeah. Yeah. For all that I've had to study like these works of art and like Renaissance European stuff, I don't, like I haven't studied the stories separately. Mm. You know, I don't necessarily know like, I haven't read the Bible. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of comes across as a variety of these iconic scenes. Yeah. Well, between the three of us, we probably have a shared knowledge because Mike went to Catholic school. Okay. I yeah. didn't, but I have read the Bible. Okay. And you have a huge I went to knowledge history. of art history school. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we'll I mean, all pepper in different information. <laughs> we have the crush scene over here. Okay. We have the crucifixion over here. Okay. I'm sure, I mean, I guess I can't say I'm sure, but I would imagine there's probably stations of the cross. Uh, depiction set up somewhere here, which is the the lead up to the crucifixion. Yeah. Can check the stained glass for for different signs. Well, there's the three wise men. Oh yeah. I'm not sure what some of these other things are necessarily. I mean, but you're you're absolutely right for people that. If you can imagine in 2,000 years, the Marvel Cinematic Universe having a series of things. Uh, one oh, okay, okay. sure. We go down the stairs? Yes. Oh, okay, thanks. Thank you. I didn't even realize we could go this way. <laughs> you were saying something about cinema? Oh, what I was saying was that if, uh, for to imagine what contemporary uh, ideas of uh, literature and morality, you know, it's a joke to think like Star Wars or like the Marvel films or things like that. But there is moralizing within those tales. Yeah. And there is a very robust history that's uh, told in that, you know, fictional history. Uh, whether or not we choose to believe the Bible is fictional history or not, uh, yeah. there's moralizing involved. And then if you've read the literature, then you can understand all the references that are happening in the stained glass and in the art. And then, you know, somebody that would be a middle, medieval person would have so many different understandings than what we have. Right. You know? Yeah, that's a good point because it's almost like, yeah, like the Marvel is actually a really good comparison because it's something that 
I mean, I haven't watched them, but I know most people have watched them. And like, if they see something, they know the whole backstory. And yeah, the Bible was probably at some point just like the newest Harry Potter, like re just the hot <laughs> thing to read at the time. This room and, is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably spent quite a bit of time in cemeteries. Yeah, on your this walks, year. Right? This year, we've seen, been in so many cemeteries. Okay. It's so nice. Yeah. The original parks. Okay. <laughs> so these look like very elaborate tomb tombstones. Yeah. Yes. We were, you know, Obviously, we've just visited five different museums this week, okay. and, uh, <laughs> wow. which is, it, uh, there's so many things to say about that. First of all, <laughs> it's like eating, opening an ice cream and, and like eating five scoops and then throwing it away because we've been like <laughs> staying an hour and a half, an hour, two hours in each one because we're still walking a marathon. And it just feels very indulgent to okay. like walk at that pace and whatnot. But, mm -hmm. Uh, this, I'm thinking about it particularly because, you know, yesterday we were at the Met and they have a very large Egyptian collection and just thinking about how the Egyptian to, uh, sarcophagus uh, relates to what we're looking at right now. Yeah, and so similar. Still depicting the person that died in full. And I, I wonder, these just seem completely made out of stone. I imagine the body of the person would have been in a coffin underneath, most likely, and not, oh, or they're, they might have been on the wall or like in the entrance way. And I guess these all would have been painted. Hmm. That's something that Mike pointed out to me yesterday at the Met in the Greek sculpture or Roman sculpture garden he said, I wonder if these will ever be repainted. And I just never even thought about that. Like, I always just thought they were supposed to be white. And then this, I, I guess the same thing. Like, you can see a little bit of the red. Hmm. Is that red it's or such is it a stained glass? Oh. I'm not sure. I it looks like it might red. be red because it seems to be still through my yeah, hand. Yeah, I think it's just red. Yes, that's my understanding with the Greek and Roman sculpture. I guess I can't say 100%, but that seems to be my recollection from art history. Yeah. And you know, we have uh, such a contemporary understanding of trying to be faithful to whatever the understanding of the work was at that time, but with those neoclassical, or just classical, I don't know, you know, the, that sculpture work is just been so hardwired as white and pure and clean, you know, I don't know if it is, you know, what's the, what's the faithful context at that point? Is it the understanding that has been developed in Western civilization or was it the, the previous, you know, original understanding? Yeah. It's, I mean, so much of that stuff was kind of dug up in the Renaissance and, and made iconic. Yeah. And so it seems like we largely live with the Renaissance understanding of the way it looked. Mm. Um, and reconstructing the exact like color colorways on each piece is probably pretty complicated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is uh, trivializing it in a similar way that uh, comparing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars to the Bible is trivializing it. But 
I'm uh, very big into a genre of internet music uh, referred to as vaporwave, uh, which is like slowed down, chopped up music. Uh, and they use a lot of imagery of these classical pictures slammed together with like Windows 95 logos and like neon pinks and pastel blues and like just this this sense of like I don't know I don't even know how to describe it other than it's this it's another iteration of this uh, classical sculpture work but like in a context that's neither of those things right <laughs> a digital universe yeah, yeah. it's a nice chainmail right there oh yeah, yeah. looks like I like, I guess, so I guess this is armor too. I thought it was like a nice floral <laughs> decoration or something, but wow. And the shoes even match. Yeah. Oh, and he has a little dog at his feet. Oh. <laughs> Jesse and I went to PS1 one year, not during this trip. And we saw a film that I have tried desperately to find again online, but it was a puppet show recreation of the entire history of the Crusades. Hmm. Wow. And it was like three or four hours long. Wow. Yeah, it was and amazing. we watched like 20 minutes of it. We, we watched were, more than 20 minutes. We were in there for a while. We were enthralled, but we yeah. also stopped watching because we knew we couldn't watch the entire thing there. And I've always wanted to see it again, but I have yet to be able to track it down. Yeah, it was it was interesting. We'll have we'll have to do another deep dive search for it. Yeah, the Crusades were an extremely violent period in Christian. I mean, you can say much of the history of Christianity is very violent, but the Crusades were especially so. Yeah. It's something I really don't know too much about, except for that just that general fact that there was a lot of religious persecution. Mm -hmm. But I don't really, I don't really, I can never really remember the history for some reason. Like, basically like armed militias venturing out into the world and mm. um, claiming Christianity as the, I mean, venturing east, I believe, for the mm. most part. And even like bands of children venturing oh, wow. east. Yeah, the Children's Crusade. The Children's oh Crusade. Wow. Are these more drinking vessels? I saw these at the Met the other day. Um. <laughs> yeah, aqua manila, manilia. Elaborate water vessels intended for hand washing. Wow. Not bad. That is really space. nice. Jesse has been talking about the idea of getting um, a water goblet for her side table. I don't know if you'd like one of these for washing your hands. I mean, but. that would be really, really nice. No, I was thinking more like a decanter, like a, like a really like a sort of glass decanter from the 60s or okay. something. But this, yeah, that would work too, a medieval hand washing. Yeah, just, just reach through the you know, glass case and yeah. pick out your favorite. Yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't mind. <laughs> I like the rooster quite a bit. I think I like the lion the most. <laughs> <laughs> I like these stained glass too with just the two colors. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they were designed that way or if they've been sun bleached that way. 
Well, it says colorless glass. With, Does it? Yeah, it says colorless glass with vitreous paint and silver stain, South Netherlandish. Huh. <laughs> they look like they're all biblical scenes. Yeah, well, there's the yeah. crucifixion. I'm not. It might be Jesus, Jesus at the temple, perhaps. I don't know. It looks like a Jesusy figure preaching. Okay. That doesn't look like a church scene. Well, somebody, somebody here has a cross in his arms. Okay. So I expect that's post Bible. Does it say? It says. Yeah. Let's see. Saint Jerome in his study. The one you were just pointing to. Yeah, St. Jerome in the study is the bottom one. And then Christ and the woman taken in adultery. I don't know if Jesus was... Maybe uh, it was a forgiving I thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's Mary Magdalene or whatnot. That's a wild... Wow, yeah. Daniel, Daniel slaying, slaying the dragon. The dragon. Yeah. They look like they're set in the Middle Ages, you know? They do, yeah. Like with, with the armor and the... Right, the even, though, even though if it was supposed to be biblical scenes, they wouldn't... The Middle Ages were, what, 1,500 years after whenever this would have happened? Like, it would have been... I can't imagine... They wouldn't have had all that... Um, all that material. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of in there, like taking the stories and making it relevant to people, maybe. Oh, and the uh, oh yeah, carrying the cross with Saint Veronica, this top left one. That, if you can see, there's a picture of Jesus's face. Hmm. Saint Veronica is a woman that, while Jesus was carrying the cross up to Golgotha, where he was going to be crucified, he she gave him a towel to wipe his face. And that was one of the very few uh, nice things that was done for him while that was happening. And as a, I don't know, as a reward or whatnot, he left an impression of his face on the uh, cloth. Wow. Yeah. And then there's, I think there are multiple places in Europe that claim to have the cloth. Oh. <laughs> I also like that it's smiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smiley face. There's actually something I really enjoy here. Just this. The genealogy of Christ. Which is... Yeah. There's the paper, but there's also the structure, which is so cool. And seeing, like, how these various circles with lines connect to each other. I guess I'm accustomed to the family tree. This is mm. right. slightly different. Is it in the language that we can read, or is it in Latin? Or mm. Oh, maybe it's in French. Yeah, such an interesting, beautiful document. Yeah. Yeah. From 1230. Wow. Wow. So it contains 
diagrams of the mansions in the desert where the Israelites stopped during the Exodus, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the city of Jerusalem. You know, this is the week of Passover, and next week is the week of Easter. So this is really good timing. This is like when a lot of both religious um, Christian people and religious Jewish people would be talking about all of these things. Mm. Right? And we're coming up on April Fools, too. That's true. Which I think is a vestige of the Middle Ages. (laughs) (laughs) Is it really? I think so. I, I remember coming here once, and it was April 1st, and there were some April Fools events, but... I don't remember the specifics. Wow, it's it funny that that would go all the way back to then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here's our first textile piece. So this is embroidered silk on linen. Wow. It's. I really like the way that the different people's clothing is depicted. Yeah. Like everyone is their own texture, their own right. pattern. Oh, yeah. I like this one with the diamonds. That might be my favorite. This one? Yeah. yeah. It also looks like, you know, the faces are basically painted on. Mm. Oh, so yeah, the little surprising. details of the like the eyes and the nose and the cheeks. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we couldn't quite get this in the embroidery, so we'll... Right. <laughs> little... Yeah, it does say silk on linen with painted inscriptions and faces. I don't know where the... In- oh, I guess where there's these little, like, letters. I guess those are painted as well. So I'm guessing these are each, like separate scene, biblical scenes. Yeah, um, it says here, I think At least of one the, of Jesus carrying the cross again. Well, I guess it's a lot of different, yeah, it says the sacrifice of Isaac, for example, was seen as an allusion to the crucifixion. The present embroidery likely had a pendant depicting scenes from the life of Christ. So it's all, yes, it's all different. It seems like whoever studied it wasn't even quite sure exactly what this all was, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like the style, though. Is this embroidered, too? Oh, is this, it's woven. Is this is woven? And it looks like there's the, oh, the cloth oh, that Mike yeah. was describing. Oh, yes. Not smiling quite as much as that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, the sun is very expressive. What an interesting face that is. Against what's called a, a meal fleur background, which we'll see. We'll see more of another tapestry. A million flowers? A thousand flowers? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Basically just the kind of flat um, floral background. Do they repeat? It's really pretty. They, there may be mm. similar flowers depicted, but you know the weave structure doesn't require that they repeat. Mm. Mm. They're all kind of made one at a time. Is it tapestry? It looks like it. Yeah, really fine. Yeah. Probably Is woven. Is it woven like this way though? I think so. Maybe? It's woven. Like the warp this way. is this way? Yeah. Because it looks like it's like making channels this way. That's why I thought it was embroidered at first, because I thought. That 
to me that makes but sense I think that because makes, yeah. there are so many of these horizontal oh, lines. Oh, right, with all these lines. But, yeah. And you can see over here, there are some little ends poking out where it's kind of like... Mm, yeah. But it's in super good, great shape. Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. I wonder when it was made. Um, does this, is this it? Oh, yeah. Um, 1475 to 1550. Whoa. Wild. Wow. Hmm. Oh, and he acquired it two years afterwards. So it must have been, I wonder if it was made specifically for that man, Bernard. Or was it Bernard? Was that? But that would have Barnard. been in the 1900s. Oh. Oh. It was acquired two years and 400 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I read that wrong <laughs> and remembered the history wrong. <laughs> oh, good, good catch. Would have been nice if Barnard was around. Just I know, yeah. around in the Middle Ages. That's why he was, so, that's why he was so rich and <laughs> important. He's just been had all that art. Oh, these are playing cards. Wow. Cool. So cool. I wonder if they were ever played with. They look like they'd be in pretty good condition. Yeah, probably. And why are there some missing? Yeah, some empty are. spots right here. Hmm. Maybe it's being um, fixed or something. Also, like, crazy that it was a 52-card deck and, like, we still have a 52-card deck. That's and, true. Like, playing cards yeah. have just been... <laughs> Keep playing. Just keep basically. playing them. By the same rules. Can you imagine yeah. playing while drinking and having to count how many collars or oh. handcuffs or whatever they for, are? Yeah. Like, for like the. I do mean, I have for, a pair? For these, it's easy, but for, yeah, for the ones that one, two, are. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> you see your opponent counting very slowly. Right. Now, what do you, th what do you two think about this one? This cope. Ceremonial vestment primarily worn by high-ranking clergy. Is this how is this like one piece of fabric, multiple pieces? Looks like it. It's velvet, and it's several widths of fabric that are stitched together, mm -hmm. meant to be seen from the back. You can imagine the clergy person at the front of the chapel or church, mm. and then people behind, behind them. And it looks like that is some kind of metallic thread. Yeah. Embroidered on, do you think? It looks like it, yeah. And um, and then this flap on top that probably has another name, but <laughs> depicting the Virgin Mary and, and Christ, yeah. Christ. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point with respect to it being seen from the back. I I had forgotten that the priests used to say the mass with their back to the audience. Oh wow, which. Boy. This is much more compelling to look at than the front of a priest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of times the priest robe has, like, some nice, um, what do you call it, like a stole or something? Yeah. Like a scarf that's really nice. But this, yeah, this is really nice. You would pay more attention, I think, trying to see the little details. Yeah. And I like that texture, too. I wonder if that, like, that golden looping, I wonder if that was always like that or if it's become kind of like flattened or yeah. mm. hard to know but 
a lot of gold woven into this in any case. Yeah. A lot of gold thread was like, it was like very thin, almost strands of gold that are wrapped around. Right, yeah. I remember when we were thinking about using gold thread with Friends of Light, we, we were reading Whoa. about that, yes. right? Gosh. <laughs> Just add a dose of luxury to the... Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's also funny because it looks almost like, you know, the Virgin Mary is wearing an even more elaborate version of the same robe. Oh, I think you're right, yeah. Oh, interesting. And that's like a very elaborate patch. <laughs> it looks like the Virgin Mary is a kind of a patch that's been stitched on. Right. Yeah, oh yeah, it does. You can see like little bits of a, some kind of connection stitch. It's under very low lighting, which means we're having a hard time seeing the details. But right. Yeah. But it's probably helping to preserve it, I guess. Yeah. This is really, also really early velvet, 1430. Mm. But you can imagine something that's so compelling about velvet is the way that it appears under different lighting conditions. And if you're in, say, a church, and this is the kind of main figures at the front of the church, and mm -hmm. say it's either candlelight or something is happening, oh. this fabric would look really, wow. it's really yeah. special. Mm. Yeah, it would really like catch the light and almost shimmer, right? Mm -hmm. mm. And that's something, too, to think about when we see the tapestries, is like often these weren't seen you know, in full lighting conditions, you right. see them. Like more like what we're in now, mm -hmm. maybe. But flickering. Right. Gosh, looking very emaciated. Yeah. So I guess these are called pietas, but I have to Google what pieta actually means. Yeah, I Probably feel something like... something about pity. Or... Does it mean pity? I don't know. I know there's, isn't there... I mean, I think the Pieta, I've seen it like in reference to this particular pose. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. but I, I didn't realize know. it was across multiple. I thought that was the name of one particular. Yeah, group. there's like one sculpture, right? Yeah. That's like huge and it I always just thought it was. If I'm not oh, is that what it is? It may be. I could be wrong. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was like the general. Um, framing. I thought it was just like that one piece, but I guess because that one's also named Pieta. Yeah. Suppose pity or compassion is mm. what Pieta. That makes sense. Means where she's Mary is sorrowfully contemplating the dead body of her son. Mm. And the top one is Michelangelo, so I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's interesting to think about our connection to death relative to medieval connection to death mm. and also our immediate contemporary connection to death that the pandemic yeah. related to our previous understanding of death but you know when the average age was so much shorter back then and uh, there was very much an idea of the afterlife being this thing that people are striving to get to mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. something that's going to happen at the end. You yeah. Know? It, you know, takes scenes like these and contextualizes them for a way for people to deal with grief of these truncated lifespans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just so, so much more uncommon 
in like in our contemporary world to be around death in this close-up way whereas back then it probably would have just been like I'm sure still upsetting but but more normalized or something mm. oh my gosh these are cool oh wow so tiny oh my gosh Carved with astonishingly minute detail. That is right. Wow. Carved with the help of a magnifying lens. So, yeah. I mean, this is also like, would this have been possible without the magnifying lens? Right. Probably also, this not. is a rosary bead, which is funny because how big is that rosary? <laughs> you know, how many beads? Like, there's, I think, what, like 40 beads or something on a rosary normally, and you wear it around your neck. and. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I think boxwood must be a particularly soft wood mm. to be able to... To be able to right. actually... Kind of access all those corners. Right. But how delicate is that? I mean, oh to see those tiny... They look like spears in the background? Yeah. I wonder what kind of tool you would use to make that. And also, like what the order of events would be. Like, mm. would you be carving out the back first? In case, like, cause you wouldn't want to bump the figures in the front, but you'd also have to carve down the front to some degree to get to the back. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are all great questions. <laughs> <laughs> and also like, does it say how long it, 10 years. What? 10 years? Right? I mean, it's from 1500 to 1510. Unless they're estimating when the actual creation time is. Oh, yeah. maybe. But it does seem like something that would take a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is something a, a picture can do justice. No. It, I mean, there must be 40 figures in there. Mm -hmm. Probably. Yeah. I like these things too. These like strange shaped. I guess they're for the altar, but Yeah, altar pieces. And it's the life of St. Andrew. Oh. I don't know his story offhand. There's, there's one that's left blank, I wonder. Apostle, oh. brother of St. Peter, and disciple of St. John the Baptist. Sits holding his attribute, a cross, which is more commonly represented in the form of an X. Hmm. Above are the virgin and child surrounded by saints and angels. The flanking panels depict important events in St. Andrew's life, while the scenes in the predella below are devoted to a number of more obscure episodes. The center panel represents Christ as the man of sorrows. The panel on the right has been lost. Mm. A rectangular section in the lower part of the main panel with the seated St. Andrew was cut out, perhaps to hold a reliquary, and has been replaced with an impainted panel. Oh, yeah. Okay, and they, they are all labeled on this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did. A, he he brought back to life a drowned man. He brought back to life a dead youth. Hmm. 
He saved a bishop from the devil disguised as a fair woman. He did a lot. No wonder he was a saint. Well, he was oh, he drove the, away the demons that were in the forms of dogs? Uh-oh. He was one of the apostles. And I think <laughs> he said, they said his cross is in the shape of an X more commonly, probably because that's what he was crucified on. Oh. Every apostle, uh, that, except for St. John, I think, uh-huh. died a martyr death. Oh, wow. After Jesus? St. John was the only one that showed up during the crucifixion, I believe. Was St. John hmm. also St. John the Baptist? No, oh, two separate person. Yeah. Okay. Pretty oh, violent wow. scene. Oh my gosh. The wicked mother killed by fire from heaven. Jeez. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's interesting. I think this, a lot of these religious art pieces also depict that, that idea of like a vengeful God. Would that be the right word? You know, like, there's, I think there's, there's many different ideas in different, like, religious places. And I'm losing the right language for that, but, like, you know, where some people think of God as just, like, purely the Savior and the Creator, and then other people think of it as, like, someone that is, like, spiteful and mm. would do something like that as well, which yeah. is so always, like, sh a little bit shocking to me because it's just not how I was brought up it wasn't like what my church talked about but yeah punishment of the wicked mother it's interesting yeah i mean uh in general the old testament is much more retribution and anger oriented than mm. the new testament but that's probably a new testament era story yeah i'm not familiar with it yeah and also interesting that on these two flanking panels we have saint andrew names a bishop Na no, St. Andrew saves a bishop from the devil disguised as a fair woman, and then the wicked mother killed by fire from mm. heaven. These are two witch-like women who are yeah. being targeted. It's a little misogynistic. Yeah. If, if we're not talking about like the, you right, know, but then this there's, Virgin, Mary, the Virgin Mary, who is, who is like this like beloved, idealized mother figure, right. selfless mother figure, right? which like very tricky to be a woman at this point in time if you're not going to try to right. aspire to sure. this. Sure, right. sure. Yeah, because even the, this woman being killed by fire from heaven, she was still a mother. She was just a wicked mother. Somehow. For some wicked. reason. Yeah. You could see how in the absence of non-natural visual stimuli, how compelling it would be to go visit something like this once a week, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, like, like not having, you know, like the, all the screen attention that we have now, like, like a movie to watch or something like yeah. that. Like this is your, yeah, yeah. And then just in your, in your natural environment, you wouldn't probably have anything particularly detailed like that, like at home. Looks like it's your little, your baby. This looks, it could be a divine baby. Not gilded though, but he does have a red bottom. <laughs> Funny. Oh my gosh. Probably the, oh, yeah. Yep, he's got an apple. Just so rosy cheeked him. It's kind of an odd one. <laughs> I wouldn't say. You wouldn't say it's cute? It does say it has traces of gilding. <laughs> um, it's kind of cute. He's got one red butt, I'll tell you that. I know. Yeah. 
Exactly, like sat on an anthill or something. <laughs> Two dimples behind. <laughs> what can we say about this tapestry here? Weavers. Oh my. <laughs> it's a really this is a really big tapestry. Yeah. yeah. And it looks is like it? it depicts a lot of noble people. Yeah. Doing a bunch of different things. We're seeing just a few main colors, so I'm guessing like woad for the blue, maybe matter for the matter's red. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's a yellow that's kind of faded away. What would have been a yellow dye back then? Do you know? Mm -hmm. Some kind of flower? Matter, woad, and it'll come to me. Yeah. I'm sure it's something you've worked with before. Yeah. Um. It seems like it's woven the same way, like with the okay. warps are this way, right? Because there's a lot of these yeah. sort of vertical lines yeah. and it's more, um, it's not in quite as good condition as the floral one that we saw, but not bad. I mean, it's not huge. Bad. It's huge. And it's like, because it's so big, it's also heavier. And so just like right. the wear and tear is greater. Right. But this is, it's got like, so I'm guessing this is like, Maybe 1500s or something? Good call. 1500, 15, 1520. 1520. <laughs> nice. This is the fourth in a series of 10. Okay. Wow. And it's South Netherlandish, and that was like an area that was renowned for its tapestry weaving. Mm. And um, so this, like, this, this does not quite include what we would probably understand as perspective, which is where there's like a, you know. Right, yeah, it's a oh, little disorienting. Right. It's a bit disorienting. You oh, have a bunch yeah. of different scenes going on. And often when this was the case, you might have the same figures depicted doing a variety of things on mm. one tapestry surface. Mm. And so if we looked really carefully, we might recognize like a similar hat or maybe a similar ermine, ermine coat. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, similar colors. And depending on whether they're in the foreground or the background, that will indicate something about the time frame, oh. like the sequence or the series of, of events. Oh. That's part of what makes these so hard to interpret these days, is they just don't really read in our like filmic sensibilities of today, where we're used to seeing in a film you have like a clear sequence of time, mm -hmm. and everything that's not considered the present is like happens before, after. Right. Whereas this is presenting us with the story, a variety of scenes, um, you know, distributed in the foreground and the background. And it's, I mean, it's apparently trying to help us along by labeling the various figures. Right. It's about the baby Jesus. Okay. Surprise. We, we see the baby we Jesus We see him in his really awesome, Christ like, is born as starburst. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that it's the bottom right, not the center or anything, you know? And yeah. So uh, to your point, I wonder if it's meant to be read left to right and then you know, bottom right is the conclusion of something? Hmm. Something. I wouldn't also be surprised if the patron is included here somewhere because that's, they oh. like to, if they were paying for it, they like to insert themselves <laughs> into the story. Sense. Because there's something going on here in the center. In this middle part, yeah, I wonder, does she repeat, or, well. It could um, be a marriage. Oh, maybe. 
still. Like, this guy looks like it could be that guy, okay. but he's not wearing right. the same outfit. You're right, it does. And I guess this woman might be that woman as well. That woman. And but also, also not wearing the same outfit, but like same features. Yeah. And labeled, kind of labeled the same, you know? There's someone named like... Oh yeah, Boon Boonkis or <laughs> Boonkling like. or... Oh yeah, no, that's definitely the same Boonkling <laughs> down there and up there. Sure, that's not right. I don't even think it's... Uh, yeah, sure, I'm moving that <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, okay, so another funny thing about these tapestries of this scale, like, it has this nice border, it looks like a floral border, you have like bits and pieces of like verdure around, kind yeah. of filling space here and there. Oftentimes they were kind of collages, like they would borrow the same, so the, the basics of tapestry weaving, as I'm sure Jesse knows, is like you basically have a designer who makes this small design, and then that's blown up into a cartoon, mm -hmm. really tediously, people have to like, draw a grid on it and then like enlarge everything mm -hmm. piece by piece and then the weavers weave that so it's this like kind of art form of multiples mm -hmm. um, but those cartoons were pricey and so you'd yeah. often like see the same scenes depicted in multiple they'd be rewoven multiple times oh because they could kind of just like trace reuse it, it or yeah. yeah or just like I'll take that oh that's interesting that makes a lot of sense which is to say, like, they're almost collage-like. And especially in this era, they have that feel, you yeah. know? Um, also because, as you can imagine, you're an artist in this era, you can't just, like, uh, like photocopy a, a figure of a robed gentleman from National Geographic magazine. You've, like, done your figure drawing, and you're going to keep those figure drawings around, and you're probably going to reuse right. them in your paintings, in your tapestry designs. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so things end up being much more, um, the word, I don't quite know, but yeah, collage-like than, yeah. than you might expect. or like, mm -hmm. not yeah. redundant, but, but kind of, like, yeah, but not, kind in of a like, not in a bad way. Kind just of like, like economical, yeah, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's actually something I hadn't really thought of. Of course, like, sure, with like contemporary tapestry, you would draw your picture small and then you would use some sort of technology to blow it up you, mm -hmm. even if Easy. it's just one of those slide projectors that you then trace on the wall like mm -hmm. that's still some technology that 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 method of like if you're working on a small like personal size but blowing it up to this big with like gridded it out that's that's like that's a major skill just on its own to be able to translate something mm -hmm. small into something big and then translate it into fiber. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of why like we can understand them as the, the films of of the Middle Ages, right? You had a bunch <laughs> of different people, a bunch of different skills, like there are, you know, gaffers and editors and blah 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 totally, who work on films. Yeah. There were cartoon makers, there were, you know, weavers, spinners, dyers, a whole right. bunch of people involved in making these. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah. Which is to say, I don't see any inscription of like the weaving workshop here. We mm. might just be, might not know quite where to look for it, but it's something we can look for in the other tapestries. Oh yeah. Would that be a typical thing that it would be signed somewhere? In Often in the, in the border it would be, but it could also be that like, you know, if the patron was pictured, maybe that wasn't seen as right necessary it's like so interesting to see all of these textiles rendered in textile you know yeah, yeah. i mean all of these garments and robes and 
roughs and yeah that's interesting um, that are you know woven in this technique that's called hatching where you have um you know two different colors kind of moving towards each other mm -hmm. in opposite directions and um it, it means you can really make something look pretty three-dimensional right yeah even just with the few colors that they had to work with it's mm -hmm. not it's kind of amazing how much detail, even like in the faces, that there's... It's wild. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a ton of work. Yeah. And there would be like weavers who specialized in faces and weavers who specialized in robes and right. specialized in like architectural pieces. And right. Because like in that last tapestry we saw where, or it wasn't a tap, the first, well it was a tapestry, but it was embroidered not a woven tapestry that where they had painted on the facial the facial details because mm -hmm. they didn't probably couldn't embroider it that detailed like this is those little details are all woven in like that's uh, with his beard yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow <laughs> and like sideways too mm -hmm. like so this is like you're not even looking if he whenever whoever made that ear like they weren't able to look at his face from the side, unless maybe mm -hmm. it was woven this way, but either way, like, there, you're not able to see the whole thing. You're looking at it from, like, this angle, like, from that guy's perspective. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. So these things would be, like, you know, obviously signs of immense wealth. Yeah. Rolled up, taken from castle to castle, you know, unfurled to let the townspeople know that they were around. Right. Or, like, put up, put up in the in the hall, um, like in the interior. Yeah. But yeah, they're kind of, I mean, they're, they're part of a moving set of furniture that kind of moved with whoever they belong to. Yeah. Right. It was said in the description that the uh, bishop owned seven of 10 of these oh series. My God. Oh, which, wow. Rich bishop. You know, bishop, I, bishop. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. This is so funny. Juan Rodriguez oh, de Fon Cheska, F-O-N-S-E-C-A, Fonseca. Okay. Juan Rodriguez de Fonseca, a bishop of Burgos from 1514 till 1524. I guess that was the length of time he was bishop. He was not a 10-year-old bishop. Mm, okay. <laughs> Where's Burgos? That I don't know. And here we are. <laughs> Notice that the sound is dampened yeah. in this room of textiles. Right. They're soundproofing already, just on their own. Yeah. And uh, as you were mentioning earlier, there is, it's not sh a shimmer, but there is some sort of uh, special modeled quality, not in a negative way, like in a, almost feels more animated to the actions of what's going on. Yeah. Well, especially in these, like in some of their garments, I. You know, it looks like maybe some of the thread might be metallic and picking up the light. Oh, and in the leaves, wow, yeah. But also maybe just some of the lighter colors pick mm -hmm. it up more. Mm -hmm. Wow, the leaves are actually like really intense. Like mm -hmm. it feels like um, almost like Technicolor. There's a lot of contrast. Yeah. Do either of you know anything about unicorns? In general, I, I, sir, I do not. 
Well, I can't really say much. I mean, beyond what, what we know about unicorns today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, in my like hasty searching this morning, I was like, okay, just look something up about these tapestries. So I had like some place to begin. Yeah. But honestly, you know, there's not much that's like certain about them. There, it's a lot of hypotheses and speculation. Yeah. Um, which is maybe very nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's we're, we're allowed to speculate about the meaning, and this, of course, like the iconic unicorn tapestry, does look like a unicorn that's been caged, enclosed. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing I remember is that the narwhal, the sea creature, is yeah. tied to the unicorn mythology because it has a horn that looks like right. a unicorn horn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I really, um, I don't know much about unicorns either. This looks like a, an actual unicorn horn that's right here oh, to the side. Interesting. Oh. <laughs> I didn't notice Good that eye. before. <laughs> It's a, it? it's a narwhal tusk. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a gift from Elaine Rosenberg oh. in honor of Alexander Rosenberg in 2015. Hmm. It's the tusk of a narwhal, an okay. Arctic marine mammal, sometimes called the unicorn of the sea. Okay. And, okay, so narwhal tusks, believed to be those of unicorns, were safeguarded in churches from London to Krakow, one at St. Denis, outside Paris, was said to have been given to Charlemagne in the 19th century by the Abbasid Caliph Harun al-Rashid, while San Marco in Venice acquired one from Suleiman the Magnificent, Charles VI of France, his uncle Jean, Duke de Berry, and Philip the Good, Duke of Bur Burgundy, <laughs> They all listed unicorn horns among their prized possessions. Okay, and those are like the, the kind of top echelon of... Yeah, all these like wealth. very important people. I had no idea narwhals were that big. It's kind of It's scary. huge. Yeah, it yeah. says they can grow more than 10, or the tusk can grow more than 10 feet in length. Wow. So I don't know how big the mammal can grow, huh. but I wouldn't want to run into one of those in the water. <laughs> no. So this looks like a particularly aggressive scene here with the unicorn either hiding behind the fountain, cowering behind the fountain, and then this whole circle of men. Oh yeah, yeah. So one guy's pointing him out. Yeah. And the, the dogs are probably looking for him mm -hmm. as well. It's the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to say the unicorn may may be female, we don't know. Hmm. You know? Interesting. Um but this does strike a oh, note yeah. of terror for me. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's this other creature with two horns that yeah. seems to be maybe Rabbit, friends with deer, the unicorn. A, yeah, a stag Lion. or something. Yeah, something like but that. But these dogs in the front don't, they seem like they're... Oh, interesting. This is called the unicorn purifies water. Oh. And you can see that the unicorn okay. is dipping its horn into the horn. Huh. Oh. But yeah, they're all hunting for him. And then this it. looks like the... The unicorn's trapped. Oh, yeah. yeah, he has his tongue sticking out. Or her tongue, or, I'm not sure. <laughs> Which is to say, hunting is a theme. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a couple weeks ago, I listened to a artist talk by a contemporary tapestry artist named Diedrich Brackens, mm. 
who, who is using that theme and turning that around mm. instead of depicting the hunter is depicting the hunted and oh. specifically depicting black bodies mm. and um, scenes of escape, slavery mm. and escape. Oh, wow. So here we have, it looks like these are the initials of the people who might have commissioned it. A.D. Oh, AD right in the middle, yeah. I didn't notice that. Is that on? Oh, it's on this one, too. Right in the center. Let's, let's see what action is happening over here. Yeah. It, it's, they become progressively more violent. Oh, my gosh. I mean, from this to this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's interesting you consider it a, a virtuous animal, but then to hunt it down and... And kill I guess it. tame it, kill it. I mean, well, they killed it there. Yeah. Look, the dogs are eating it, and yeah. it's bleeding. And yeah. Exactly. So this one, the unicorn's fighting back. It's, it's stabbed one of the dogs. defends itself. Okay. Yeah. But again, why? Yeah. Why would you <laughs> kill why that creature? <laughs> the unicorn is killed and brought to the castle. Hmm. Well, this is kind of like an action movie, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know? yeah. Mythical beast, people hunting was very much a part of you know the the idea back then. So, right. well, it's almost like slaying the dragon, but it seems like in this case it's very confused because like the idea of slaying the dragon is that the dragon is hurting people, but the unicorn we see him purifying the water back there, and I think he would like befriend the unicorn. <laughs> Is that the first image of a woman? Mm, uh, I, think I think so. All the hunting was done by the men. Um, Although this, there's a woman up there's here, There's a woman too. here. And so this looks like there may have been part of it that's been like rewoven or replaced oh, at the yeah. bottom. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, right here, too. There's that whole leg and that's true. body of yeah. the dog. At different points. And that looks like it's been done to be somewhat obvious. You know? Yeah, with the brown it turning into the blue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, is it uh, the same pattern? Well, again, uh, I, I mean, see some butterflies say. here. I don't see oh, butterflies yeah. anywhere else. But, it, you know, it, like, it shows the changing approaches to conservation. Right. Do you do it to be invisible? Do you do it to be visible? Mm -hmm. Right. And stabilize the... Right, or is it like, is it part of the story that this, you know, this was torn when we received mm -hmm. it so but we want it to be stabilized so mm -hmm. we're going to reweave it but we want you to know that it wasn't in pristine condition like mm -hmm. what's the yeah and here's that a d or yeah whatever, whatever it, it is again a d uh well <laughs> well that's on your yeah. dominee yeah. Maybe oh maybe a, but may was saying she thought it might be the, the patron the, yeah. yeah it's it's everywhere very yeah, yeah probably more likely <laughs> I think I read online that these were, you know, lost during the French Revolution and then recovered afterwards around like 1850, which isn't really an uncommon story. The mm. Bayeux Tapestry was also, I think it was used to like transport armaments during the French Revolution. Oh my gosh. Wow. Just like utilitarian purposes. <gasps> oh my gosh. Kind of resuscitated afterwards. Wow. Back to life. They, they can be a bit hard to relate to in general, these old tapestries, mm. unless you're like looking really carefully, but 
for a long time I found them exceedingly boring. <laughs> but <laughs> and then I guess I got hooked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because they're faded and they're big. Yeah. And they're kind of confusing. Yeah. But they, ha you know, I think that, I think that the scene, like the greenery and the flowers is what I find myself looking at the most in these because those seem to have re retained the most light and like contrast. And then, yeah, I mean, some of the people just blend together. But every time I sort of remind myself in my head that, oh, this was woven and this is huge and this is mm -hmm. like just the craft that went into it, then I can stay engaged. Mm -hmm. It's like several generations of people, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us, May. This was really a lot of fun. Oh, it's been a pleasure to see you both. Thank yeah. you for the invitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like uh, it was great to be able for me to be able to go in there with two weavers and uh, get a little backstory on how the sausage is made. Yeah, it was, it was fun to inspect the sausage. <laughs> it makes it sausage. extra fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Right. Yeah, and I had a great first trip to the cloisters. That's right. With two of my friends. Well, I hope you had as much fun walking around the cloisters with May as we did on the actual walk. And if you liked this video, you can click a bunch of things below. What can they click, Mike? Uh, well, you can click the like button so this particular video gets shared around the world. You can click the subscribe button so you can know when the next videos come out. And you can hit the notification bell for it to actually uh, alert you when each video comes out. Ooh, yeah. fun. All sorts of stuff to help us uh, get to uh, spread this around. It would be really cool if we can get to 1,000 subscribers before the end of the project. And we have only 12 weeks left yeah. until the end of the project. Wow. One more season. We are walking into warm weather now. It's all downhill from here in a good way. Yeah. I mean, there will be a little bit of uphill too, I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> But until next time, thanks so much for watching. Take care. Bye. Bye.